So hello, everybody. By now, you've probably figured out why exactly we decide to postpone Edible Alpha Live. I think we're kind of at the front of the curve when we postponed it. And since then, things have really evolved in a direction that um, I don't think any of us ever anticipated. But we're still going to do Edible Alpha Live. And what we're doing, the 10 early stage companies who are going to be sharing their stories, are going to start working with us at FFI. I'm going to be starting to mentor them um, as planned. This situation makes that work even more critical, I think, to help some of these amazing impact-oriented businesses to help them survive this situation. So we're gonna be starting the mentorship program with them. And then we're also hoping that this thing will calm down. And at some point in the future, we are looking to hold the event that we were all excited about having. And it looks like right now, tentatively, we're holding October 28th for Edible Alpha Live. The other thing I will tell you is we're going to be producing a bunch of podcasts on issues around surviving through a situation like this. So a series of interviews and things that are relevant. The other thing we're doing is last week I started a huddle. I called it a huddle. We're going to have a huddle. We're going to do a virtual huddle and we're going to get people who have questions and are trying to navigate through this. We're going to get them online and I'm going to share some insights about things that I'm seeing and hearing and, you know, techniques but then we'll share with the group. And I just put that out there and we had 25 people in two different groups and we notified people an hour in advance, which says to me that there are a lot of you out there that are trying to get a strategy together for how you're gonna survive this situation with your business. So if you're interested in joining one of those over the next few months, I think that will be incredibly useful. So if you're interested in joining that, that's all free. Go to either the foodfinanceinstitute.org or ediblealpha.org and you'll see a way to join one of those groups. And here's the show. Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. All right. Hey, Ted, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Tara. It's, he, uh, I guess it's good to be on today, given yeah, the subject yeah. matter. Yeah, it's a crazy time, isn't it? Um, and I, you know, was thinking about what all of our clients are going through. Um, I couldn't think of a better person than you to get on the show as fast as possible because um, everybody is scrambling to figure out how they're going to survive this financially. And this is what you guys do for a living all the time. So we are really lucky to have you. Well, thank you. I, I, it feels good to be good at this, but I'm not happy that we have to be good at this at this particular juncture. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's talk about this. Um, um, so so restaurants are closing. The people that we work with um, who do, you know, like microbreweries and cideries have to close their tap rooms. Um, 54%, I learned this yesterday, share of stomach, 54% um, going into this thing was food service. And that's essentially dropping to close to zero. So 
that 54% has to go somewhere else. So this is causing huge adjustments, I'm going to use for that word, for people to, um, both people to understand where they're going to buy food and cook food and all of that stuff, but also on the side of farmers and businesses and everybody who supplies all these things. So, um, so yeah, that gets us to where we are with the money, um, big disruptions with money. So I'm sure you're working with your clients right now. What are you telling them? Um, it's a really tough conversation, obviously. The first one is, is to understand where your cash is and what your cash flow looks like. That's number one. Number two um, is be in close contact with your customers and your vendors and have con ongoing conversations with them. And number three, plan that cash flow out, right? And, and, and four, obviously, is have a conversation with your bank because they're the ones who hopefully have some level of dollars to help us out when we do this. But the, the most important place that we have dollars is the things that we control ourselves, right? right? Our expenses, our AR, our employees, like how do you manage those things? And I, and I suggest to our clients that it's very much a team effort. It's not just about you as the owner. I, I, I was, you know, I was just before this call, we just did our 13 week rolling cash flow and my bookkeeping specialist who's very competent what she does more than a bookkeeper said, what are we gonna do? And I said, you're right, what are we going to do? And, hmm. and it's putting it out there to the team to be very cognizant of the how we approach this from a strategic standpoint. Because the most important thing to me is, is that as a business, we survive the long term so that when the economy does come back, as it will, we're there to do it. Right, and that's the thing for all of our companies, right, is to, and all the, our listeners out there, is trying to get a strategy together to keep you in this for the long haul. Because I tell people, having a business is a marathon, it's not a sprint, right? Yep. Yeah. I was on a call last night with somebody who just started up. They just opened a microbrewery a month ago. Can you imagine? Oh. <laughs> it's like, huh, well, that's really good timing. Um, and, and they, it was interesting because, you know, when you're in startup mode, this happened to me when I did Tara's Way, that the economy fell apart while we were building our factory. And we actually had a conversation about whether we should even start up at all um, when we came, when the, you know, here we are with this building done. In our case, we decided, we decided to start up. And in part, it was because we would lose our supply chain if we didn't, right? We had these contracts with cheese companies that were gonna supply us. And if we didn't take their way, they're gonna have to find somebody else. And then it would take years to get them back. So we started up and lost vast quantities of money in the beginning, right? While we were, because the economy was in the, the last time it went into a tailspin. Um, but this brewery didn't have that situation, right? So we talked mm -hmm. through it and it's a very good possibility that they will just hit the pause button here because they're not in, you know, it's not like they have distribution in stores that they're gonna lose, that kind of stuff. So. This is sort of an extreme example of trying to think through, like, where's the cash going and what do you do, right? Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. And I think, and I think laying that out there, uh, you know, one of the things that we really suggest to our clients is do that cash flow forecast and do it reasonably. Do it by the week, because what you what you want is to be able to know. I mean, we just did it today with our with with our team. We have a group of us that are billable and a group of us that are overhead non billable. And when it came down to it, it was literally about figuring out what that non-billable time was. And when we looked at it in a spreadsheet, I'm talking from personal experience, you know, we're a consulting firm, I could then see, okay, here is where I literally have the opportunity to make some adjustments appropriately and get the team to see that too in that spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And to your brewery's point, maybe they just hit the pause button. Right. I think that's huge. Now there's there's a whole lot of strategies in this that you can do around the pause button. I was talking to a banker today, or actually yesterday, and, and he says his his bank has already made the decision that if anybody, any farmer, they're a farm-based bank, calls them and says, I need some help, the very first thing they're gonna do is say, we can do interest only on your loans for 90 days. Period, end of story. No questions asked, we will just do it. Mm-hmm. And so that comes back to the, the strategies and the conversations and figuring out how to do those things. Like your pause button on the brewery, maybe pause just works. The right. landlord is willing to work with them. You, you got to ask those questions and you got to look for those things. And I put and putting them in a spreadsheet makes a big difference because it gets oh, very structured very quickly. Totally, totally. So let's let's talk about the big buckets, right? In food and farming, um, they may be a little different, but. Let's start, let's start food and then we'll do farming. So mm-hmm. what are the big buckets of expenses that people should look at? <laughs> Labor, <laughs> Yeah. right? I mean, that is the biggest one and we all wanna be very careful about not losing our labor. But at the same time, there's in each state, there's a slightly different strategy around unemployment or underemployment. And, you know, not to sound draconian, um, you know, at some point you've gotta make some decisions there, do them in a way that is you know is best for you and the and the and the and the employees. There's going to be unemployment, and I suspect there's going to be more available for unemployment. And for goodness sake, we've all been paying into unemployment for years. Right. So I wouldn't feel bad about doing that. And I suspect the legislation will work that we probably won't get hit too hard in the future for using it now. But yeah, and I just like as an example with that in Wisconsin, I just read that the governor is waiving the one week, you know, waiting period yeah. before you can collect unemployment. Yep. Uh, and I suspect, you know, this this is a state by state thing, but I suspect that kind of stuff will be happening lots of places. Yep, I agree. Then there's um, furloughs too. Do you, do you have them in in Pennsylvania? Because you guys are in Pennsylvania, but. Yeah, I don't, I mean, honestly, it's been so long since I've actually had employees myself. I just say to people, you got to go figure that out. Like, I don't know the answer to the what the state will pay or not, but, Mm -hmm. and it's going to change, but it's about a strategy and go understanding how you can leverage that strategy to your maximum cash flow and to help your employees the most you possibly can too. Totally. It's a a very delicate balance. Yeah, absolutely. So the the furlough thing, usually the difference is that with when employees are on furlough, um, they don't have to be seeking another job and Mm. they and the employer gives a date at which time they're going to come off of furlough. So you could set a date 90 days out, something like that. so, so some states have that. That's, um, but yeah, getting a strategy for that. So labor, labor is one thing, and this is totally speculative. But 
Um, I think, you know, going into this thing, everybody in the food industry and every industry was scrambling for employees. Like, how do you get people was the issue. And it's kind of like you got hit on the side of the head right now, right? With suddenly, we, I read something, we might have 20% unemployment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many of our clients were hurting to find employees. So it's going to be an interesting process here with things coming back. The agriculture has to keep going. The food business has to keep going. Right. There's just no choice there. Right. Right. And and then, you know, there's there's conversations of going on. Hopefully leadership is listening, but you know, people have to understand that we if we go into quarantines or something, we've got food processing employees have to be allowed to go to work, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or the whole thing grinds to a halt. So, Absolutely. yeah, so, so your, um, so labor is number one. Uh, let's talk about landlords. Yeah. Yeah. So landlords are typically, you know, they're not a bad source of finding some cash, but again, to have the conversation, don't just not pay your rent. It's really dangerous just to not have a conversation. But rent is the second place that that I would certainly go to if you have if you're renting something. Um, pick up the phone, tell them where you are, tell them that you're trying to make sure that you are keeping going so that you can rent in the long term, and at, and start with asking them what their flexibility is. Right? I mean, the, the landlords have the same issue. They've got bills to pay too, um, but most of the time I found is they usually have some some wiggle room. Um, and and especially in these circumstances that typically will work with you. Well, and it's not like somebody else is going to move in, right? Like, right. you know, gee, we're going to evict you and suddenly because we're going to get somebody better in like that is not possible either. Right. So, yeah. yeah, it's not in there. Well, you know, this is a, a, you know, we've all not seen this in our lifetime, this exact situation. What I say to people is if anybody gets excited, everybody loses. So everybody needs to remain calm. The goal here is is that X number of weeks or months from now, we're back in a cash flow positive situation where we're able to work with and get caught back up on our cash flow. So that in anybody, any conversation is, if we can't work together, we're all gonna be out of business. If we can work together, we'll have a much higher probability of us, most of us still being in business. So the landlord, you're exactly right, Tara, they don't have somebody standing there waiting to rent it in a minute or two or even 10 or even a month or two. So their ability to withstand some cash flow might or might not be good, but the conversation is first important. Then you can decide how much of a hard hardball you want to play as a result. Right, right. And then, um, well, in food, cost of goods sold is a big um, is a big driver of expenses too. And that, that presumably if you have no sales, you're not worried about that. That's very true. But in, with many of our clients, you're working directly with a farm, right? you know, in our worlds. And so that's one of those places where, again, you got to have a conversation and, and ask and talk to them. One of the things that I've found with this is, is, that, is that in having the conversation, you're still better off to budget X number of dollars a week that you've got available for things and then parse that out appropriately because in many cases people would rather get something than nothing. At least they can pass that along a little bit at a time. 
Mm-hmm. So those suppliers are, you know, are the lifeblood of the organization growing. Most of them have some room. They have a line of credit that they can use. They have a certain amount of, you know, things that they can do on their own on their own behalf. You pick up the phone and you have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Some of the larger, you know, some of the larger suppliers may be able to extend significantly larger terms depending on where they are financially. The smaller ones will typically not be able to do that. Right. And then you have to prioritize which are the suppliers that can put you out of business, right? Um, you, you know, uh, when I look at utilities, I probably shouldn't let this be recorded, but most of the time utilities are the people you can stretch the longest, even though they can shut you down, right? Right. What I have found historically with utility companies is that, that they typically will literally show up with a wrench and you can hand them a check before they actually will turn something off. Yeah, and I think there's stuff going on about legislatively speaking about that right now, too. I mean, I don't know about, you know, you can't shut people off. The utilities can't get shut off right now. Well, that's that's for consumers, I think, is the legislation to start with. Mm, yeah. I'm not sure about businesses, but I have been in situations with businesses where you end up having to pay them when they show up, but there's usually a significant amount of leeway there. And that those are the people that I would certainly wait the last to and make them scream, mm-hmm. um, but not get shut off, right? Right, right, right. Okay, so I'm, I'm, you know, visually in my head going down an income statement here and thinking through what the big buckets are for food companies. Next one is probably um, debt service. Yeah, correct. So, so how do you deal with your bank? Yeah, the first the first thing is it's going to be the same with all of these, and you might and what my suggestion is always to prioritize the you know the biggest number to the smallest number. You pick up the phone, you talk to them, and as I said earlier, I, I, ultimately I believe banks are going to be significantly more friendly to smaller businesses in this situation than they were in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine. Hmm. Why I think do you that say they, that? Well, well, you see what the president is attempting to do. I think that I know from my personal experience that there was a lot of, or there was a severe lack of care for the smaller businesses in the 08, 09 recession. And I think banks are significantly more attuned to the fact that the small businesses are the ones that ultimately are the lifeblood of the country. And well, that's my sense. I have nothing more than I guess I've had two conversations with bankers at this point, and both of them have said, we're working to figure out how to make this work. Right, right. I, Which I did not hear that, 10 years ago. Right, right. When my joke 10 years ago was I was the perfect size to fail. Because right? <laughs> remember, it was it too big to fail, right? I said yeah, I yeah. was the perfect size to fail. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, that's really good news. I mean, I, I'm kind of hearing the same thing through the grapevine that the banks are going to do what they ever, you know, they're going to do what they can. And then so I know that the SBA is activating their um, disaster loan program. Um, it, it'll be national. Um, the, each governor has to apply for it, but it's rolling out nationally. And basically it's the same program they normally apply to when you, there's a hurricane or something, except now it's everywhere. And um, it is a expedited process to get um, working capital basically. Um, 
and it, 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 when it's a hurricane, it's like a one-stop shop. You go to a you go to a building, and there are different tables, and you know you you fill out your paperwork one place, and they check your credit score another place, and then they do underwriting the next, and you like you leave with yay or nay. Um, and I guess they're trying to do this digitally. Um, so right now people are scrambling to figure out exactly what that would look like, but that is going to be, could be an incredible lifeline for lots of people. Yeah. Do you know where that's being, do you just go out to the SBA to look for that? Is that what I, that I, that's is? my understanding. Um, and I haven't been up there today. They did a webinar yesterday for the small business development centers around the country because they're activating them to do, to sort of help people apply for the loans, if that makes sense. You know, like mm -hmm. this is how you do it and what materials you need to fill the forms in and that kind of stuff. But it's their um, disaster loan program. So one of the things that I've heard, and Tara, I'd be interested in this from a from a loan getting a loan standpoint, is that get your 2019 taxes done. Is your sense that they're going to squint at that, or do you think people need to really hustle to get their 2019 taxes done? Yeah. Well, as you well, you know this. Normally, um, there you would want to have them done because that will get in the way of a loan approval. Yep. Um, they are making noises about extending that, but I don't, the last I heard, we have to apply, we have to have, um, we have to have submitted our taxes by April 15th. Like I, they haven't, I mean, I keep seeing that they may move it, but I don't know. So, you know, when in doubt, get your taxes done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. really good point. Great. So yeah. the other thing I'll say is uh, states and municipalities are coming up with programs too. So and as an example, um, the Wisconsin WIDA is called Health and Education Development Administration. I'm not sure exactly what the acronym is for, but they, they predominantly help finance affordable housing, but they mm -hmm. have announced a $5 million program to give $20,000 grants to small businesses who have experienced, you know, catastrophic drops in revenue. Now, mm. and that's going to be in our state administered through this um, CDFI's community development financial institutions are going to be administering that program. And it's a grant program. So, um, these are going to show up around the country, I'm sure. So not to turn this around on you a little bit, Tara, but there's a really interesting question that I have here that I suspect we're going to get starting to ask regularly. And that is, is that so your sales have been catastrophically dropped and you get this opportunity to take money to get a loan from anybody to get yourself through X period of time. How do you make the decision whether you should really do that or not yeah. from a business standpoint? I mean, it, it, I don't I don't particularly want my clients taking on a whole bunch more debt um, and then not being able to be successful. I had a conversation with a client this afternoon who sells cheese wholesale mm -hmm. and she buys from 24 local farms. She's built a really wonderful business in a very short period of time, nicely profitable, reasonably low overhead selling all to restaurants oh boy we all know what her sales did in the last week and right. what the likelihood of her sales are doing the next week and she said to me ted 
I, I'm thinking about going online and selling really great cheese, curated cheese from 20 restaurants online. Right. And I went, yeah, do you really want to do that? And what do you think the outcome is? Right. And we, we talked through it and the results are still have a few things we need to figure out. But I think that as much as I hate to say this, there does need to be just because there's quote unquote easy money out there. I want I want our clients to be really cognizant of the fact that there's a high probability that that money does need to get paid back and um, understand what the payback terms are and how that affects you cash flows and what you have to do in the longer term to make sure that that doesn't just make things significantly worse. Right. Which is a horrible thing to say, but I'd rather say it now than, than, you know, six months from now when they've taken all this money, then they have no idea how to get it back. By the way, that's only going to increase the bankruptcies in this country multifold if you do that, but it may happen anyway. Right. Right. No, it's a really good point. And I, you know, it, it, when I think about doing turnaround work, I think about, you know, stage one is stemming the bleeding, right? But, but stage two, and they're related to each other, is the business model itself. Like, what does this look like when, when we come out of this? You know, because a, a lot of the organizations that you and I work with, um, we're kind of tenuous going into this financially, right? And it, mm-hmm. and if you don't solve the underlying stuff and now you have more debt, it's you just made it worse. Yes, correct. Yeah. So how do you work with clients about that? Like like with your cheese person and what is she thinking about? <laughs> well, with the cheese person, the first question that I had for her was, if you're going to pivot this much, is this what you really want to do? Mm-hmm. And if it isn't what you really want to do, then be very careful with that. That was the first question, which is, again, a tough thing to do. And this in this economic climate to say, is this what you really want to do? is not really a fun thing to say, because uh, some respects, maybe we don't have any choice. That's the first one. The second one is, you know, laying out, we will always go back to a financial budget. Like what, what is it going to take to make this work? And does it make sense? And we build all, you know, just as you were going down the list of what are the major sections of the, of a P and L, what, you know, where are your sales actually going to come from? What are your cost of goods sold going to be? How are you going to market this stuff? How many employees do you need? What are your rent, you know, your fixed overhead related stuff look like? And then let's, let's very relatively quickly and usually not a very, it doesn't take very long to lay out a really basic budget mm-hmm. from a P&L standpoint. And then you've got to layer in the, the cash flow component of that. But we almost always come back to that baseline. Is this going to financially make it work or are you going to dig the hole deeper? Right. Right. That's exactly last night, the conversation with the brewery. They were thinking, well, we could get this growler machine and we'll make growlers and we can sell them at our front door and people will come. And I'm like, yeah, except that the, you know. The students aren't going to be back this year. Right. Like, is that really going to pencil out? Like, do a little, do a little Excel. Whip, you know, fire up yep. Excel here and see if, yep. see if it makes any sense at all. Yeah, that's where we always go, yeah. and especially, I mean, I like to go to the next place, which is where are the sales really going to come from mm. in this environment. I, you know, let's flip. A, it's. I mean, usually I flip a coin because it's a 50-50 chance of understanding where the sales are going to come from. In this environment, at least right this very minute, if you ask me where the sales are going to come from, I don't have a clue. We have direct-to-consumer, you know, home delivery clients that are just blazing. 
right. one of our clients expects a 400% increase yep. over these next few weeks. Yeah, um, that's what that, I'm you know, seeing out here too. Is that going to stick? You know, when the other side of this uh, happens, which it will, is that going to stick? I don't know. Yeah. Oh. Well, and I, I mean, my my suspicion is that at least some of it will stick. Like, you know, there was this big psychological barrier for people to order food online, right? And now, mm-hmm. now they've been kind of forced to do that. And, you know, it's, it is kind of convenient to have all that stuff show up at your door. So, you know, well, it, and it remains to be seen, but I don't know if it'll ever go back to where it was. So it will certainly be an interesting yeah. journey to participate yeah. in. Yeah. So this is an interesting thing, which you're bringing up. Like, how do you help people do a forecast in an environment like this? Um, we what, what I will what we do is we put a sensitivity on it. So mm-hmm. we'll lay out the initial forecast, and then we'll literally in Excel have one cell that you know. So you lay out the initial forecast that says, "All right, I'm going to sell ten thousand dollars a week for the next forty two weeks, or ten thousand here, two thousand there." And then we layer in a one simple cell that everything references to that says, "What if you only do eighty percent of that? What mm-hmm. if you only do seventy percent?" Because right now. Yeah, the guess is, you know, is, well, what was history and how do you go forward and what do you think is going to happen? A lot of it's guesswork. Right. But in order to decide whether it's going to work or not, we then take that sensitivity against the sales and say, well, what does the minimum have to be in order to be able to make this so that it's not digging the hole deeper? Mm-hmm. And then it's about checking that. One of the things we talk about from a profitability standpoint is the sooner you know whether you're profitable on a daily basis the sooner you understand your business because it's easier to make changes that much more quickly if you do that. Mm-hmm. So um, if you can do that on a weekly basis and say, and, and course correct very quickly every week, if you're not hitting those sales numbers, then you can reproject and look at it. But this is a really fluid situation, Terry, you know this as well as I do. And so starting with the baseline assumptions and then rechecking those assumptions regularly and consistently and then changing uh, what you're doing. I mean, I have a client that, you know, they were supposed to be doing $250,000 worth of business a month. And right now it looks like they're going to do 40,000. Yeah. And he was actually thinking he was going to go to zero. So I guess it's better than zero, but, um, you know, he's, he's course correcting again. He did a massive layoff on Monday and, Mm -hmm. you know, then actually brought one person back because things looked a little bit better than they thought. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, right. And one of the things that I tell people is um, make decisions as fast as possible, right? It's it, as hard as it is to you know, like a layoff or something. The longer you wait, the worse it gets, right? Dig in yes. the hole even worse. Yeah, you are correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Um, talking let's talk about communicating around all this so I we talked a little bit you said you've talked to banks um um what do you tell people about talking to their banks like what are they uh, what should they tell their banks what should they do <laughs> communicate early and often and be transparent mm-hmm. this is where we are this is what we're doing what options do you have to help me 
is where I start because like the bank that I talked about says that if somebody calls, they'll immediately just say, hey, I'll give you interest only for 90 days. Mm-hmm. If you have an idea of something that you need differently in order to be able to make it work, then tell them. Show them the numbers and tell them why that they, they should listen to you and help you. But be open, straightforward, and as transparent as you possibly can. They all know this is coming. They're not going to be surprised. If they're going to do something bad, they're going to do that bad anyway. Right. 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 But it helps. I mean, it gives them confidence that you're actually watching the books, you know, when you communicate like that and that you understand at least what's going on. Because if they don't have the confidence in that, then then, you know, that's when things really go south. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And what and customers, too. So what what are what do you tell people about that? Um, from a customer standpoint, I think that you have to be open, honest, but confident, but not cocky, mm-hmm. right? You want the customers to feel good that you're that you are, you know, in control of your business, that you're going to work through this. They want to hear some level of confidence, but you can't be cocky, right? It's not a problem. Nothing's going to happen. We'll be fine. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. No, everybody knows everybody's not going to be fine. There's very few organizations that are going to be fine right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so same thing, communicate early, communicate often, you know, tell people what's going on uh, and and just be honest. I mean, you know, and and, and work through this. And, and, that, and they'll, again, they'll understand there's, there's really, there is no substitute in any communication for being to, to early and honest communication. Right. And the same thing would be true with suppliers, right? So you're buying from small farms and yeah, the news isn't good. So you delay, but that doesn't help anybody. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So right now uh, you're, um, you're working with people to get, you you do 13 week rolling weekly cash flow forecast, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So what do you tell people about how to do that if they have never done one before? So there's a couple of things. Um, first of all, you can go to our website and download a template, which give you an oh, idea. Awesome. Which, if, if you don't want to do that, it's www.kitchentableconsultants.com and there's a resources page and you can download that, that cash flow template. The, the most important thing that I've learned about cash flow templates that's different than the P&L is you are literally identifying the name of who is going to pay you and who you're going to pay. Not every last detail, but I like to put the top 10 uh, customers in and when I think they're gonna pay. And I total that, I take the beginning balance of your bank account and add all the, you know, in that same column, all the names of the people who I think are gonna pay this week. That gives me my total cash available unless I have a line of credit. And then I take the, the top 10 names of the customers that are going to pay so that I can layer that in. So I'm actually thinking about who, I'm sorry, the vendors that I'm going to pay. So I'm literally thinking about who I'm going to pay, when. And then I put all of the fixed payments, the things that I know are absolutely going to happen. Um, loans, we've talked about how we might be able to adjust those and work with those. Payroll, you know, how we work with that. And, and I've just got this column of numbers that I'm, you know, and then if it comes out negative at the bottom, 
you know, after I've taken all that comes in and all that goes out, I got I to gotta go back and adjust. And, and don't adjust what's going to come in because that, you know, that's almost always going to be less than what you assume. And, and then the key is, is that you then take that total at the bottom and that's your beginning balance of cash in the following week. And you work the same process through. Typically, the first time you do this, it's really hard to get out more than about four or five weeks. So don't get frustrated at the 13 week window. In fact, I have one example where for you know for probably a year running, we would run a, a 13 week rolling cash flow and out 10 or 12 weeks, the cash was always negative. We managed right. and the company managed to survive. So it's harder to, to look at that, but it really, it creates a planning tool to think about who am I gonna pay or what um, and, and how am I, and who can I squeeze as opposed to just listening, squeeze is a funny term, but as opposed to just paying whoever's yelling at you the loudest. Right. And it also gives you the ability to, for somebody to, to say to somebody, you know, when I do cash flow planning, I say, look, we do cash flow planning every Friday and I pay on Mondays afterwards. So, it, you know, if you're calling me in the middle of the week to figure out what I'm going to pay you, um, I'm going to plan on Fridays and I will let you know what's going to happen on Monday. Yeah, that's a really good thing. So people aren't bugging you all the time. I mean, well, they will situ- be. Yeah. I mean, the, the situation, too, is like you it can often be as simple as making us one payment in the next week and not the current week that keeps yep. the thing, the cash flow positive, right? And if you don't have a tool like that, you don't have visibility for that. And it all sits in your gut. I swear to God, like the yep. the anxiety of it is all in your gut, which drives yep. you crazy. I totally agree. And it, it also ends up, you end up doing things ad hoc, right? Right. Uh, somebody calls and, oh, I gotta get paid, I gotta get paid, I gotta get paid. And you're and if you don't have a systematic response to that, then either they don't, they're not comfortable with what's going on or you make the payment at the expense of something else that was more important. So mm-hmm. taking that note, hey, I'll, let me get back to you. I'm planning my cash flow, gives you a chance that you're telling that person, I'm doing something, I'm not ignoring you, I didn't let you go to voicemail. I'm doing right. something, I'm planning, and I'm gonna communicate back to you, right? right. Those are right. all things that are very acceptable for people. Right, right. Yeah, and in a in a situation like this where everybody's gonna be scrambling for cash um, at the same time, it, yeah, having, having you be the one who's communicating and has a plan or it sounds like they have a plan is gonna really be great for everybody. Yep. Yeah. So um, uh, let's see, what else can we, what, what else should we talk about in relationship to a situation like this? Um, okay, I've got, I've got something we should talk about. So, um, you know, the, the share of stomach, 54%, now it's um, that 54% that was food service is going to zero. That's, I mean, people say we have, are always you read the media right now and it's like well we have enough food you shouldn't be worried about it which is true it's just that getting the food to a different place is not easy so it's like your your cheese example your cheese client um that's not an easy transition for her right right yeah i am hearing and i don't i'd I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about this but i'm hearing things like um Big food companies that are used to supplying, um, used to supplying uh, grocery stores, right? It, like in Wisconsin, we have companies like Johnsonville Sausage and Sargento. Like these are big brands. 
they're national, they're in every store. Um, suddenly, they, the stores want to buy twice as much as they normally do. And those companies can't supply, right? Because they're close to capacity. It's not a fast thing to add more capacity um, for a lot of them. And so um, buyers, while this is a horrible time to be thinking about bringing new things in, they are looking for like, hey, we need another sausage. You know, like, where can we get that? Um, so there, it's creating opportunities for people who didn't have them before. And I'm wondering if you're seeing that also. I have not seen it yet because I think that the supply chain is just starting to really feel that. Mm -hmm. So um, it, I, the honest answer there is, Tara, I have not. I wouldn't be surprised that mm -hmm. people are going to say, oh, what do you got? Great. Thank you. I'll take it. Right. Right. Um, because that's normally what happens in a, you know, when, when supply starts dwindling, people will take a, you know, will take an alternative, but I have right. not seen that directly yet. Okay. The other thing I've been starting to see is, um, big retailers are, who are talking to people saying, just send me, you can send me 10 pallets, just send me 10 pallets. I'm going to drop pallets right in the middle of the store. Like, because they're experiencing this, um, empty shelf thing that creates yep. this sense of panic on everybody. So they, they're trying to create abundance by just getting shit in the store. Well, I have a, 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 a good friend's son who runs a group of a chain of grocery stores, overseas for grocery stores, which will remain nameless in New York state. And they made an initial decision to shut, uh, to, to consolidate four down to two because of a lack of supply, right? Why, right. why, you know, why keep four open? Uh, they ended up reopening one because everybody, the, the rumor on the street was is that the store was filled with coronavirus and that was why they closed it down. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that would be bad. Yeah. Yeah. So they went back and opened it back up again. So that just to combat that, that, that thought process. But I mean, you know, th th this is the day and age of, of, you know, information traveling rapidly. And the question is, is what, you know, what is the real information versus what is, um, you know, what is, I think, I think we have another few weeks of the speed of information flowing and determining what's real and what's not. Right. 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 Well, and then there is, um, you know, just people, I think it's symptomatic of people really not understanding where their food comes from. Right. Um, that, that, people in policy-making positions have to be told that if you shut down your food manufacturers because you can't get people to the, to the factory, then we don't have food for people yeah, to eat. Right. Like To me, it's like, why would we not know that? But apparently we need to tell people <laughs> that. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah. Same thing with truckers. Like we need people driving UNFI trucks, you know, or whatever the distributor is, um, because that's how food gets places. Yep. Yeah. There's some really simple portions to our economy that are that I think everybody will figure out ultimately and keep things going. But in the meanwhile, there will be some pain. Yeah. And what about um, your farm people? What's going on on the farm level? So, I mean, this is springtime for farms, right? I mean, like, yeah. and, it's always, and it's actually coming a little bit early. And so they're all like, yeah, this is just, you know, they're used to being tight for cash. They're used to being scrambled. They're used to being stressed. And they're all going, yeah, 
but they're not sure what ultimately is going to happen. So, you know, they recognize that they're providing a baseline, you know, staple that everybody's going to need to buy. They are a little concerned about credit constraints. You know, if the banks aren't going to be comfortable with a line of credit because of lots of things happening in the economy, the bank getting tight, um, they're concerned about getting their food to market back to the supply chain. If they're direct to consumer, um, they're actually concerned about too much demand. Right. If they've got a CSA or they're, you know, have a retail, they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, how am I going to keep up with this? Um, I think all in all, farmers are typically the, you know, they, if you're not an, if you're not an optimist as a farmer, you're just not gonna, you know, you're not gonna get there. So my sense of them is is that they're they're slightly more optimistic than the rest of us because that's just they're used to, you know, they're used to the, things not going not working right. out yeah right. mother mother nature's this mother nature right this is pure mother nature with a little bit of you know uh information creating some you know some concerns farmers are used to this um i don't you know this is new to everybody but the, the general level of oh my goodness what are we going to do um you know when the weather changes the weather changes for farming and they, they deal with it right right Right. It's a good, it, ironic and good point. I, out here, we are seeing the same thing that the, the direct delivery people have more business than they've ever had. Yeah. 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 It's going, it's going like crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, other things I've telling people that, um, um, cause, cause people will be, especially the startup people that I work with, um, tend to be, um, in money raising mode, like they, cause they were, they, they're growing and they need more money. And then this thing happened. Um, and I, I tell people that getting new money right now is going to be really hard because everybody is trying to make sure the credit, you know, the banks are trying to take care of the people that they've already lent money to and investors just watch their portfolios, you know, I don't know drop by 30% or 40% or whatever it is today. Um, and that makes everybody hesitant to give new money to anybody. Yes. I, yeah. I, I mean, we're so early in this process of things jumping around that it's going to be really interesting to see what the sentiment is. I go back to the, the point of I think that small businesses are being much more... Um, uh, paid attention to. Yeah. Uh, I think the proof is in the pudding from a cash standpoint. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, we're hearing lots of people say, you know, hey, make sure you continue to work with your small businesses. Make sure you continue to buy what you can. I, I didn't hear that in the last recession, Tara. So from the mm-hmm. from the availability of capital, there's crowdfunding now. There's, you know, there's all kinds of things that feel significantly more um in the forefront of thinking about how capital is going to continue to flow in order to ensure the success of these businesses but you know we're literally like what are we a week into right. really being like oh my goodness right but right. but no at we're least not the, very far into it the noise that i'm hearing is i you know I'm cautiously optimistic that the funding that is going to ultimately be available um, and it's funny, I should go look at some of these, I haven't looked at the crowdfunding sites yet, but I'm just curious as to what's actually happening out at the, at the, at the crowdfunding sites that are out there as to whether or not people are funding. Cause you know, 
quite frankly, I, I would be more apt to take, you know, a few dollars of my own and put them into a small business today as an investment than I would in the stock market. Right. <clears throat> right. No, it's true. And um, lots of, um, oh, but I think they're called dining bonds or something in New York that people have launched where it, you buy a bond for 75 bucks and it's coup, um, the face value is 100 bucks and you can redeem them at a restaurant at some point in the future. You pick mm. a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that are I've started to help you know, generate capital for people like restaurants in particular who are so severely. Yeah, I, guess. I think there's going to be a significant amount. And I actually just read this around crowdfunding in an email that came out that the, that, there, that the SEC literally on March 4th re, reduced some of the requirements around crowdfunding in order to make it easier. So right. I, there's a whole series of things that I think are going to happen I mean, I've always been, you and I have had this conversation a bunch of times about Main Street being able to finance Main Street. Right. Um, and and creative financing. I suspect that this situation will create some alternative financing that just makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, anytime we have one of these big shocks to the system, as we sort of talked about that in the beginning, that that things don't they don't go back to where they were entirely, right? So one of the things that could very well happen is more movement toward, um, you know, buying directly from farmers might might stick. Who knows? Maybe yeah. some of it yeah. will, you know, buying food online and maybe some capital innovation too. Yeah, I, I yeah. would hope that that's going to happen. Yeah. Those things would be really good outcomes from a not a pretty horrible situation. I think I think the interesting part of this conversation around cash flow is is that, at least for me, is we need to get somewhat excited, but not excited too fast because I think that there's going to be a lot of there has to be a lot of interesting opportunities that happen as a result. Of, there's no way around it. Right. From a right. funding cash flow funding standpoint, there has to be. Right. Otherwise, we'd have just massive, yeah, massive yeah, problems. I, so, no, I think you're right. I'd like and, to I'd like to have this conversation again with you in about a month. Yeah. Right. Like about what you know, where is what has happened in the last month from a cash flow availability standpoint? Because, I, you know, I, I think all of us and myself very much included, maybe not you, have, have literally been under a rock for the last week going, what the heck just hit us? Right. And we're now starting to come out and go, okay, what, you know, and I suspect that's most of us are just in triage. And now we need to hopefully after a week, we can come out with a little more strategy and figure that out. Right, right. No, I love the idea of getting back together in a month to see what's going on, because I think um, we I know that people are still going to be working through the cash situation. Right. It's not something that you just fix. Um, well, I also think in a month that cash situation is going to be much more serious conversation because right now we all can run on, you know, payroll was last week. I got two more weeks to, before I have to worry right, about Right payroll, before right? I really have to worry. Yeah. Actually, for me, payroll was yesterday. So I really have like, you know, yes. 18 days before so I have to worry about right. payroll. Again. What the heck? What you know, the care. hell? Yay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you um, you shared your website. Um, yeah. Um, when you work, how do you work with clients who are in a financial crisis like this? Yeah, that's a really interesting part of the conversation. I mean, 
We typically ask for fees up front because what we don't want to do is be caught in the melees of the cash flow situation and then we can't help you. Right. Um, depending on the needs and abilities of the client, we will we have some, we can extend some terms and be somewhat uh, creative. Um, but but typically we've got to get our cash up front or we're going to be stuck in the same situation and then we can't help you. So, um, and, and I, you know, I'm working on some creative financing uh, to be able to help people. Whether I get that or not will be a secondary issue. But if I do, then we're going to offer that. We do have a component of our business where we will, you know, work with a business from a cash flow and profitability standpoint. But at the end of the day, we all have to ultimately be profitable or it doesn't work. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. But you would, your firm, what you do with in your firm, because I've seen you doing this, right? Um, you can help people do things like put their their 13 week cash flows yeah. um, projection together, or help them look in their financial statements and figure out what's going on with the business. Yep. You're really good at helping people figure out what their business, uh, the underlying business model is. So that's the is this business worth saving conversation that we had, right? Um, we One of the things we say is, is we don't care how much profit you make, we care you know how you make a profit, right? Which is mm -hmm. ultimately the underlying business model. How are you going to make a profit in this process? What do you have to do? And then how does that translate into cash flow? is right. something that we are really uh, fairly adept at doing. And the piece of the puzzle that we typically bring to the table is, is that we've all sort of sat there in your shoes so we can have a combination of, you know, this is what you ought to do, and this is how you're going to feel when you do it, and this is what it felt like if you didn't do it quite the right way. Right. And I think the other thing right now, I mean, I'm feeling this at FFI. Um, I know I felt this because I started up my business in the Great Recession. You feel like you're by yourself dealing with this. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very lonely running a business in a way, and just having having somebody come in from the outside who has probably a lot more financial acumen than you do to help you kind of prioritize and sort through this and get some systems like it takes the the anxiety out of it yep yeah i hate like i literally hate doing cash flows to start because it's like painful and oh my god it's gonna have negative numbers and right. then once it's done and in place, I love it. Like, it's right. like, oh, this is great. Right. <laughs> I know exactly, you know, in, in seven weeks, it's going to go negative. Right. But if I can do these three things between now and those seven weeks, it's not going to go negative. Right. I feel so much better than just going, oh, my gosh. Right. It's going to go negative. Oh, right. I know at some point it's going to go negative. Right. In fact, and today in our, in, in our cash flow. Yeah. So, go ahead, Terry. Sorry. You don't know why it's going to go negative. You don't know when. You don't know how big the negative number is right. going to be. You just have this sense of dread, right? That's it's, that's where people operate. It's Tetris, right? Yeah. I mean, it's how do you put all the pieces together? In fact, this, this afternoon on our own cash flow, you know, Mikkel, we were you know we were putting in credit card payments and again lining things out and you know I'm stretching out the credit card payments just like anybody else does right I mean I'm gonna pay as whatever I can each week and keep it going and try to minimize whatever it is and you know et cetera et cetera so we finished and I was like oh man and then she went back right at the end as we were hanging up she's oh we had we doubled our credit card payments here I was like oh that's great <laughs> thank you <laughs> made a huge difference you know right. so. But 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 it is that I got it. Once I get started into it, it's easy and it feels good. But to get started, oh, man, it's really painful. So, right. I, I, yeah. 
But people should go to your website and yep. um, go to what is it? Resources there. Um, yeah, uh, it's 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 resources, and there's a downloadable spreadsheet um, called. Let me just find it here. Tools and templates, and down below there is an Excel template, generic 13 weeks. So you go to resources, tools and templates, generic 13 week rolling cash flow example, and you will drop a Excel spreadsheet down that shows you exactly how to do it. Awesome. I mean, awesome. it's not step by step, but it's there. Also, the weekly seminars on how to do this that are free. Oh, cool. And I believe. Yeah, I think you can sign up on the website to participate. They'll be up there on the website. So awesome. weekly, we're just going to do an hour weekly. We'll show you how to do it. No awesome. charge, no obligation, whatever. Yeah, awesome. That is great. Well, thank you for joining us. I'm sure you've got lots of people who are dying to talk to you today. Um, we'll let you go. And we're going to take you up on, you know, circling around in a month or six weeks or something to see where things are at because it'll be interesting. Yeah. I think it will be too. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Tara. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.